Okay, we are sitting in a much cooler morning than the past couple of days. Hell of a storm last night, I guess, especially on the west side. It's This Week in the CLE, the news podcast from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, and I'm here with Laura Johnston, Chris Warnowski, and Jane Cahoon. Laura, it sounds like you got the worst of the storm over on your side of town. Yeah, I mean, Sandusky lost part of its big theater, and when um, I woke up this morning to realize there was a giant hunk of a tree, a hundred year old tree in my yard that was on the ground. So, um, and I called the service department. They're like, well, we're still opening roads. I was like, okay, that's more important than the tree on my tree lawn. So yeah. Yeah, But that, you know, those things come down and they kill people. I mean, I know I'm very glad it didn't damage the house. Okay. Well, let's get started. Are overdose deaths from heroin, fentanyl, and cocaine hitting a new record in Cuyahoga County? What's uh, surprising about this story is that, that for a while it seemed opioids we're under control. We had crested. Deaths were coming down. And for the past three months, we've been paying attention to nothing but the coronavirus. But Chris Warnowski, this is a crisis. Yeah, we've had a, a couple of stories come out about this from the medical examiner's office discussing just how how many people are dying from drug addicted overdoses. So in May, at least 66 people have died. They expect that that number might go up just a little bit. And that actually falls just short of Cuyahoga County's record of 67 deaths from way back in February 2017. There's There have been like sort of dueling predictions about what would happen to people who are addicted. Um, there, the initial thing was, is that is that mental health and drug people in those fields who are in recovery fields said that the coronavirus would likely, you know, you know, people will be sitting around with nothing to do and, you know, and, and that's dangerous for people who are, are in recovery, who are, are, are trying to, to sort of kick their habits. And, and then what we saw when the state reopened last month was we also, we saw a big increase and they kind of attributed that to the fact that people are going out again, supply chains for drugs from China had reopened. Um, so, so is it, is it the anxiety that people feel from the the pressure of all of our, the changes in our lives because of the coronavirus that that they're saying might drive an addict to go back. To, I think, or, like a lot of stuff, it's there's no easy answer to this. I mean, one of the things that Gil, Dr. Gilson at the medical examiner's office told us last month is is one of the things that they feared was that people who had maybe had stopped using because they were homebound during the peak of the coronavirus started using again and their tolerance had dropped or, you know, it, it's any number. Oh, of I see. I so see. there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why this could be a problem. And, you know, I mean, you got to keep in mind, you know, people couldn't, you know, you couldn't go to a, a place to get help. You, you know, they were relying on telehealth. I mean, there's questions about the effectiveness of those things. And so when you're in recovery, like one of the things that, you know, you have to sort of get into a routine that sort of matches, you know, how you sort of get to the point of not using again. And any kind of disruption in that is a risk for for backsliding into an addiction. So, you know, this is, I mean, this is really, I mean, this is our other pandemic. You know, this is the thing that we have, you know, we thought that that we had gotten control of and, and, and it looks like we're really not out of the woods with this right now. The idea that that they stopped using because of being locked down and didn't realize their tolerance had dropped 
that's an interesting theory. But, well, I, I just, it's, it was a stunner that, you know, what they said they had a handful of other suspected cases. So this yeah. very likely will be our record month. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Is Cleveland unusual in containing violence in police brutality protests to a single night? This is a theme that the police chief, Kevin Williams, and Mayor Frank Jackson had sounded multiple times in the aftermath of Cleveland's big riot, that their lockdown stopped it, whereas other cities had multiple nights. Laura Johnston, we decided to check out their claims to see just how unusual it is. What did reporter Courtney Astolfi find? She found that about 30% of the cities that she looked at, she looked at 52 midsize and big cities uh, that kept the violence to one night and didn't have any loss of life. So that includes Colorado Springs, Albuquerque, Baltimore, Charlotte, North Carolina, El Paso, Omaha, Tulsa, Virginia Beach, and some cities in California. Obviously, there were a lot of cities that had a lot worse, including Chicago, Detroit, Indianapolis, Louisville. And they had some deaths, too. So comparatively, we are in, in, in the right side of that uh, equation. Although most of the cities you mentioned as having one are really not comparable. But this sounds like maybe you could argue Charlotte is right. comparable and definitely Baltimore is comparable. And actually, I wouldn't have thought Baltimore because they've had a lot of problems in the past. Uh, it is interesting that, that we we had a single night, but it also what Cleveland did has raised a lot of questions about whether it was appropriate so that they can say, okay, we bottled it up. We stopped any more violence, but to do that, they locked down the city and, and, and froze people out of it. And people felt like that that was a deprival of their, their liberties. Did, did Courtney find that that's what other cities did as well? They just went into total lockdown. I think, Every city was probably different. And what's interesting about Cleveland is that, you know, we've talked a lot on this podcast about how they were unprepared. And so I know they're proud of that 30% that they're among, you know, that locked it down in one. But there's part of me that wonders, did we even have to have that kind of violence if they had been prepared? But you you can't change it now. And um, I don't think we had any information in Courtney's stories specifically about what other cities had done to lock down the violence, but just that the disturbances in the other cities were pretty similar, smash windows, looting, graffiti, people throwing items at police and police firing tear gas. So that all seems very similar. And they had it night after night after night in Columbus. So it's it right. was kind and, of and they close had to it home. for two nights and, and part of an afternoon, even before the Cleveland protests had started. So they got a good big head start on us in Columbus. Yeah, I just wonder what the long-term lessons from this will be. We had a lawsuit filed late in the curfew to challenge it, but because the curfew was ending, they dropped it. It would have been nice to litigate that to see if Cleveland was within its rights to do what it did. But it I was- wonder if you, sorry, I was just going to say, if you wonder if you ask people if they if take away our civil liberties, but keep the violence at bay or you know, let us have more freedom and don't. That's an interesting question. This is Chris Wernowski. I, I, I'm actually sort of fascinated by the idea that, that this probably would have been harder to pull off had we not been used to not going downtown and going out um, because mm-hmm. of the coronavirus, because, you know, we were already sort of used to limiting where we go and, and, and having limited access to things. So, you know, if, if this had happened without the backdrop of the coronavirus, would there 
would there have been a bigger stink about it? Because I mean, it, I mean, I legitimately just had friends who were just like, ah, I wasn't going anywhere anyway. And it's like, well, okay, like that's fine and all, but that doesn't necessarily mean the city might have the right to limit your ability to go to certain parts of the city. So, you know, I think that's, that's true. And I also do believe that the, the training and the changes in the Cleveland police department made a difference. I read a really good article in the New Yorker, about how New York police just terrorize people on bicycles. And yeah. It's like they've declared war on people in bicycles in a way that is hugely offensive. Uh, and Cleveland police, maybe five years ago and 10 years ago, would have done those kinds of things, uh, but they, they're not as much. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't do things that are seriously questionable in this. I mean, the, the videos we've had of them wantonly just shooting things yeah. into the crowd and tear gas into peaceful crowds. I had a long talk with Hannah Drown yesterday, and she was standing with a bunch of non-violent people, and the tear gas was flying over her head. So, well, But, but overall... It wasn't like other cities. We 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 talk about the police being unprepared and and not having uh you know the the correct response, but we we tend to overlook the fact that if you had added more heavily armed, tactical looking police to that equation, it may have escalated things. I mean, there are expert after expert who says that the the mere appearance of a huge force of police puts the other side of that on, on edge. And yeah, and, but and, they didn't, but that's not how they did it in the right. past. They didn't have the presence in the past. They had the people ready mm-hmm. and they didn't have that. I mean, I would, I would make the argument based on the little bit I've seen that because the police were so heavily outnumbered, they did things they might not have done if they felt more secure with having backup. So I, it, it's hard to say, I do think it's clear uh, even though they they disagree with this, and you know, one of these days, city council might have a hearing and get the truth that they did not see the violence coming. They believed, and we've heard this over and over, that Cleveland's record of not having violence and protests was reason not to to be ready to deal with what went down. The other thing is, you know, and Laurie, you said earlier, could they could they have stopped it? You know, there may have been an inevitable breakout of violence. This was. Uh, a massive venting of pent up frustration uh, and anger about how police treat African-Americans and in city, this has happened everywhere. And it, and it just might be the natural, I I think Troy Smith used, uh, you know, the, the language of the riot that, that this was basically a free speech way of saying enough, no more violence by police against African-Americans. It may have been inevitable and nothing may have stopped it. This week in the CLE, did sales taxes in Ohio collapse during the coronavirus pandemic? We always get this data in late. It doesn't come in real time. And so we're just now getting the data for March and April. Jane Cahoon, what are we seeing well, we don't know the full impact, but to answer your question, yes, they, they went into the tank for the first full month of the coronavirus-related business closures, which was April. They were down 17.1%. And for vehicle taxes, they were down just about 30%. So uh, we don't, as you said, we don't know about May yet. We we are hearing from auto dealers in Greater Cleveland that there there was an uptick in May that that they were up about ten 
percent for sales, but um, that's not reflected in the in the state figures yet. And the other thing is, you know, there are local sales taxes, which we don't quite know the impact of because the the state tax department still has to complete the paperwork and forward the money to those communities. But if Cuyahoga County follows the the statewide trend, the county will be down about four million in sales tax money for April, and RTA will be down about three million. You know, I um I had to unexpectedly buy a car because my wife hit a deer and it totaled her car. I think you know, she was fine. The car was wrecked, and the the dealer said that May was their all-time record for for individual car sales, that they never had a better month, which threw me because it, w- it wasn't expected. And maybe it's just that dealer or or maybe we'll find when we finally get all the May numbers that that things started to come back. But they said it was so bad, they have no almost no cars left because the Japan supply line is cut, that, that the factories had shut down. And so dealers across the country are scrambling to get cars because there's demand and no supply. So it'll be, we'll have to see what the full economic impact of this is. Uh, the predictions are still we'll be grappling with high unemployment through the end of the year. I think the prediction is at the end of the year, it'll be nine and a half percent and the end of next year, maybe down to six. Uh, but if if the one dealer I dealt with is any indication, maybe things are coming back. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Did Cleveland police screw up in how they ordered people to disperse before firing tear gas and other items into the crowd before the May 30th protest became violent and turned into a riot? Chris Ranowski, Corey Schaefer did a, a thoroughly reported story in which it was clear the people in the crowd were not aware that police had issued a dispersal order. The police said for that story they had and that they would eventually provide proof of that. It took them a long time to provide what they say is proof. And now we have some people looking at their video that they say is proof saying, not really. What's the story? Well, they yesterday they released or not yesterday. I think it was two days ago. They released uh, 10 minutes of video that shows the officer in charge give uh, three orders for the crowd to disperse. And and what we had learned initially when we spoke to legal advisors and people who were on the ground there is that nobody could really hear it. That, you know, if, if you were standing right next to the officer, you might have heard it. But part of what they're required to do is to broadcast it in a way that people standing at the back of the crowd are are able to hear it. And and so it's it's. You know, it's in dispute. They gave us a, they, you know, like, you know, cherry picked 10 minutes of video. We're still waiting to get, you know, a ton of other video that we have requested from the city, but that's the one that they gave us, you know, the other day. And, and so it's, you know, I look, I don't, I don't know that we're ever going to satisfy anybody on this. You know, the police are going to say, we did what we were supposed to do. The people in the crowd are going to say, yeah, we didn't hear it. And, and I don't well, know. But, but stop, stop. Let's set the stage, though. Yeah. I mean, you've got thousands of people that went down for a peaceful protest like we've seen across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, they saw some movement up by the Justice Center. But for the most part, they were standing back. They were chanting. They were doing their thing. And f- from their point of view, the next thing they knew 
tear gas, not pepper spray, tear mm-hmm. gas was landing around them and pellets were being fired at them. That's not okay. I mean, that's not, that's, it, it doesn't matter if police say we followed the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. They didn't follow the spirit of the law. In the, in the protest over the acquittal of Michael Brelo um, some years back, they were much more vocal in mm-hmm. making sure people knew they had to disperse. They got to a point where the thing was getting violent. People had done some things on West, on East 4th Street. And everybody knew they were saying, you have to disperse or we're going to arrest. There wasn't a, a lot of time, but there was some time. That did not happen here. I and mean, that in the again, if Cleveland City Council ever did its job and had a hearing to get to the bottom of how this broke down, you would expect to get some information on this so that there could be some corrective action for the future. They just don't do it. And now we suspect it's because the head of the public safety committee has a son that's a cop and has a conflict of interest, <laughs> as we've reported. But 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 there is I mean, there are several things that clearly did not go right at this. The 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 planning for it seems deficient and the attack on the peaceful, the largely peaceful part of the crowd without warning does not seem like it's okay. And you would hope the police would come out with some side or some sort of report that says in the future, we'll do a better job of letting people know they have to disperse. What's clear is the video they put out yesterday did not do that. Right. Which we had a couple of attorneys tell us, right? Right. What I, I can't get over, I think sometimes when I, I look back at this, because I was down there, is that the people who were across the street in the park you couldn't hear anything. I mean, it, between the sound of the crowd, which was loud, people were screaming, people were angry. Um, and then just out of the blue, here come canisters of tear gas, like launched in this park across the street. And, 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 and the, the initial surprise among those people was, was, was palpable. Like you could tell people were like, what the heck is going on here? Right. And so it, it was, you know, I mean, you had people who were standing across the street. I mean, they were kids and, and, and people, you know, people had brought their children and stuff down. And, and so it, like the crowd had kind of split up. Like there were like a lot of the peaceful people either, like they just went home or they, they, they kept going down to public square, but there were, you know, there was confusion over where things were moving and what people were doing. And so a lot of people who were kind of separate from the people who got angry and who got, you know, who engaged with the police, like there was just some confusion. And then, you know, as soon as that stuff started happening, I mean, just like you could see people with looks on their face, like, what the heck is going on here? And so, you know, it it's, it, you know, but at no time, I mean, could you hear from across the street that they were trying I mean, look, you can you can say, well, you can assume that they wanted you because wanted you to move because the, they brought the police in and this and this. But no, but, no, yeah. the police come in to protect they, right. they Look, they did it. We did it right in Brelo. They knew what they had to do. They just didn't do it because they weren't prepared. But I, again, it, it would be nice to get an official postmortem yeah. on this. It seems it feels like we're we're the only ones that keep asking these questions and keep pushing for some answers. And I just, and, and, and just to add one thing, they did some things right in Brelo, but remember they were found, they, they had to pay protesters a bunch of money because they did some things wrong during. The yeah. Day. They arrested a bunch of people who right. they shouldn't have arrested, but uh, no, right. I'm not, I'm not saying Brelo was right, the right. model. I'm saying Brelo was the model for the order 
on how to disperse. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why have we avoided the predicted increase in coronavirus infections following the reopening of most businesses in Ohio? This one is just baffling because we have about half the states seeing record numbers of cases. Ohio is just not. And, you know, the virus doesn't really know geographic boundaries. Laura Johnston, Julie Washington had a story that gets into a little of the thought here. What did she find? This is kind of a fascinating question. We don't have any for sure answers, but experts believe the coronavirus spreads more slowly during warm weather. The heat and the humidity, uh, the UV rays, they could all have something to do with decreasing the spread. And the fact okay, so, so stop right know, there. I know. Because Florida and Arizona are two of the places I, where it's hitting records. I How does that make the, sense? I don't have the answer. I is don't it possible? Know. Is it possible with all the studies that have come out in the past month that Ohio's relatively high rate of mask wearing could be the difference that in in states like Florida and elsewhere where you've seen gatherings, you don't have nearly as many people wearing masks. But here, you know, when protesters got together, they were all wearing masks. Is it possible that in spite of the claims in the very beginning of this, that masks don't do a thing, which I got to point out, I never believed that that's the difference? It could be a huge part of the difference because the more we read about masks, the more that it might be the absolute must do to protect yourself. We have a new story that posted this morning that Julie also wrote. I feel like she's becoming our mask expert that Harvard study says that you might be wearing masks until 2022. And another study that kind of goes with it that says you don't need to shut down the state. You just need to all wear masks. So it could be our high rate of mask wearing. It could be Maybe that we shut down the state really early and we have been, you know, with those daily wine with the wine, we've had a, I mean, yes, there's been people. But that, but that doesn't I make mean, sense, though, because it's not shut down now. So, no, but we did. And right. We're not seeing a spike, but we kept our numbers a lot lower than other states to begin with. So maybe that made all the difference in the long run. But that just means we have more people that can get infected and new. I, I wonder, I wonder if the mask, think about, you know, everybody talks about herd immunity, that if enough people get it, it has a much more difficult time of transferring between people. Can masks be the artificial form of herd immunity? If 80% of Ohio, when they're out and about, are wearing masks, and that is the most effective way to stop the transmission, is, is Ohio's general gentility and neighborliness the reason we're seeing fewer cases while in states that have more people screaming, give me liberty or give me masks, are getting it? You know, my, my daughter lives in North Carolina. There, there's not nearly as many people wearing masks down there, and they're hitting record numbers right now. I don't have a good answer for you. I don't, uh, we don't know. And there's so much that we don't know about this virus. Whether it might come back and hit us with a second wave in the fall is a big question. You know, if there's ever going to be a vaccine. I mean, there are all these questions that we don't know, but the good news is, that it's it, we haven't seen that spike that we have expected to see since those restaurants started opening more than three weeks ago, I think. Okay, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. How close are we to a permanent rule letting people buy carryout liquor when they get their carryout food? Jane Cahoon, the legislature's been a bit busy this week, and they've acted on this. What are they doing? Yeah, we're getting closer to that. Uh, they, the House overwhelmingly passed it on Wednesday, and it's headed to the Senate now. This is a, 
a bill that would allow Ohio establishments to sell alcoholic beverages for carryout or delivery or to let people drink them um, in an adjacent parking lot too, <laughs> which I, that's the part of it I just like can't get past. But anyway, it is on its way to the Senate and it also has an emergency clause in it, which means if the Senate passes it by a, at least a two thirds margin, it's going to become law immediately uh, once the governor signs it. Although they can still do this now under the, the governor's temporary order that he signed to help restaurants survive the pandemic shutdown, right? Right. I should have said that. Yeah, it was it was originally passed as a temporary rule to to help establishments during the closures because, you know, obviously their their dining uh, their dining inside was closed down. So this they want to make permanent because just to help them get back on their feet now that they are open. It's just another potential revenue source to, to, to give them like a recharge. Okay. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast from cleveland.com and the plain dealer. Why is Cuyahoga County prosecutor, Michael O'Malley subpoenaing the photos and videos of cleveland.com and the plain dealer from the day of the Cleveland riot. I always get my backup when prosecutors try to use our stuff to, to as evidence in crimes because it makes it look like we're an arm of the prosecution. Chris Ranowski, what's going on here? Why why do you think they need our stuff to to figure out who did the bad things on the day of the riot? Well, I think they're looking for everything that they can find. Um, the the police and the county have put out public requests for people to submit videos and photos of of suspicious people and things they may have seen. I mean, we publish the bulk of what we gather anyway. So, you know, I honestly don't know what they're looking for. I mean, I mean, I think they're probably looking for people who did property damage and, and stuff like that. I mean, you've seen that you've seen them put out a handful of things with like tweets of, you know, a group of people trying to light something on fire. There was a woman with a baseball bat there, you know, I mean, there was, a lot of stuff that they're looking for, but it's, I don't know if there's something they think we specifically got that other people didn't. I mean, there's a ton of material out there already. Right. There's a ton of material. And it also raises a question of, of why, right. There were, there were thousands of people downtown, probably hundreds that participated in some way. They're not going to be able to identify anything, but a tiny fraction of those. And it's just going to be the luck of the draw. If a photographer, somebody shooting an iPhone video was there and it's a massive operation. I mean, you're collecting all of these images to get people that threw some rocks at windows. It's just why there there's, this was much more a protest about social justice and, and trying to change the philosophy of how police treat african-americans we have far bigger crime issues that that are out there right now Mm -hmm. Uh, you know we've talked about the opioid crisis and now it's flourishing again we have a violent crime problem in cleveland where people are getting killed that that is indicative of social issues why get all these photos and videos to basically arrest what frank jackson himself have just called opportunists these are not the, the instigators of the riot. You're going to have a hard time identifying them. They were pretty good strategists. What's the point? I don't know. I can't speak for the decision-making of the prosecutor's office or the police investigators who are in this. I, you know, I mean, we've, we haven't really seen 
I mean, it, when you think about the people that have been arrested thus far, you know, you had five kids trying to break into Progressive Field days after this happened. You had two kids from Erie who are facing federal charges, mostly for just going over. I mean, the, the real crux of those charges are probably going to be the fact that they traveled interstate to cause trouble. And then you had one guy who was arrested who had one of the best stories. You know, I mean, his story was basically like, yeah, I got turned around, got on the highway, and, and he had a good explanation for, you know, what he was doing. Yeah, he was charged with having a mild tough cocktail. Right. And what he had was a bottle of nail polish remover that, that he said he lost the cap of and it stuck a paper towel in to seal it up. And he bought it to take paint off his car because people had painted his car in the riot. But I don't know um, if it's the end here. I mean, are, are they going to try to get people to pay restitution to fix the damage that was done to the building? I get it. Like, it's their job to investigate this stuff. But in times like this, there is, in, in look, you cover police. There, there, there's, a, there's this urge to sort of treat a lot of what's going on here like straight up terrorism. And, and in law enforcement, they, they tend to not make a lot of distinction between you know, what is like legitimate terror and, and what is, you know, essentially a, a release of pressure from the anxiety of, of, of what people feel is. A but, but Chris, but Chris, so, they, they do, they do have limited resources. We've right. had no end of stories over the years about how seriously depleted they've been in their detective ranks, especially with sex crimes. Mm-hmm. And that's serious crime. That's, that's, people out raping women, terrorizing them, inflicting emotional and psychological trauma. So if they have the people to investigate this, is that the right use? It's just, I, I, I just, I look at this, look, I got my backup because they want our stuff to help prosecute their crime. And I worry because that puts a, a target on the backs of our reporters and photographers. If people think, Hey, you're taking my picture. That's going to be used by prosecutors. They, you know, they could come after them. But but I also think it raises a bigger discussion about what is the use of police. I mean, it, look, it gets into that defunding uh, argument. Is, if this is what we're going to use our police resources to chase, maybe we should take the money away from the police and put it into the social justice causes that 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 are that are not the symptoms of the problem, but are the actual problem. Right. And and you, I just thought, I thought mean, it was worth discussing today. You did. I mean, you did bring up a very serious point, which is, is they have struggled with manpower and, 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 you know, and bear in mind, a prosecutor's office is also in the middle of a corruption investigation in the county. And, and, well, well except that's being run by the state now. So. Right. Wait, wait. But, but I mean, like, look, it, it's, it's, it's resources. We're, a, you know, and, and those resources are going to get thinner is our, our, you know, we're going to be financially affected by the coronavirus. And, and, you know, you need people, you know, we need police to solve things like murders. And I get it. Like when, when somebody damages your property, it's the biggest priority to you. But I think as, you know, as we, we sort of look at redefining the role of law enforcement in our culture, it, you know, this is part of that conversation, which is like, how much effort are you going to put into these things? You know, it's, yeah, it's a crime, but you know, from a from a moral perspective, you know, there there are bigger issues that the city is struggling with right now. And, you know, some property damage at a public building during, you know, a nationwide civil rights uprising is probably, you know, it's it's expected. And and frankly, and frankly, you know, hopefully their insurance will pay for that stuff. So well, you just you would you would hope that 
the people who lead investigations would talk about what's our priority. It seems like they're going all out to try and identify every miscreant that was involved and they don't go all out to solve the murders and the rapes. I mean, we've, we've talked to the victims and the families and I just, this is one where we should be having a public discussion. And I'll say it again, if Cleveland city council did its job and had a hearing they, they could ask questions like this, like, okay, how many people are you dedicating to solving this as opposed to your 35 or whatever it is unsolved murders from last year? But, but we're out of time. It's this week in the CLE. We are overtime, guys. So thank you for to Chris. Thank you to Laura. Thank you, Jane. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This week in the CLE, we'll be back tomorrow. And then, early warning, it will be gone for a week while I take some time off. 